Hello, you're listening to History and Hope, a Baptist perspective on history, culture, and theology. I'm Mark West. And I'm Matthew Lyon. And today is the next topic in our series on Baptist distinctives, individual soul liberty. We changed the title. Trick people. They thought they were just getting history, and now they're getting history, culture, and theology. We're trying not to have mission drift uh, as one of our reviews on iTunes. Is that what they review? They can review anywhere, but that was where that one particular one was. Okay, so encouraging our readers to rate and review. One of our low reviews said we, we are having mission drift. So we're trying to be upfront with what we talk about, which we've talked about since the beginning, but history, theology, culture, from a Baptist perspective. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, individual soul liberty. So in our distinctives series, uh, okay, so we are on the I of the acronym Baptists, you have to add the S at the end, and this individual soul liberty. Other words for it would be liberty of conscience, uh, freedom of conscience. And I think the biggest problem with this one is it's confused with priesthood of all believers. Yeah. So when people hear priesthood of all believers, they think your ability to access God on your own without the need for a priest, which is not what that means. Priesthood of all believers means all believers can serve God as the priest did in the Old Testament. Now, everybody can do it. What people are really referring to when they talk about accessing God individually is this one we're talking about, individual soul liberty. And that you can, on your own, obey God without someone else telling you what God wants or wants you to do. It's not distinctively Baptist in the sense that nobody else believes it. So, so other denominations will believe it, though someone like a Catholic could not. So it, it theologically probably distinguishes most from the Catholic faith, which maintains that the, the three forms of authority are the scriptures, the church, and the tradition. And they're equally authoritative. And that you sort of go to God through those means and through those organizations. We believe as Baptists, and as all Christians should believe, that you are an individual standing before God on their own and that you have access to God. Okay, so it's not priesthood of believers. And I think what's happening in modern Baptist circles is that we don't know what priesthood of believers is because we've confused it with this one. Uh, so priesthood of believers is our ability to serve together equally. Together is a big word. Individual soul liberty is our ability to relate uh, soul competence is another way to people say it. Like you have the you're competent or you're able to address God directly and to obey him and to hear from him. Okay, so that is the distinction. So we're on individual soul liberty, liberty of conscience. Uh, Baptists love it. Americans love it. Which is one of the reasons Baptists in America have have grown to such a large number. Because it's one of those things that mixes well. But the basic premise, and all the Baptist distinctives relate to each other. They're not, they're not isolated from each other. They sort of build together and off of each other. So this principle is built primarily on the fact that Christ is the only Lord. So Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. And if he's the Lord, then there are no other secondary Lords, which means we must relate to Christ directly. So Christ is Lord. He's the head of the church which we also get local church autonomy. 
uh, even priesthood of all believers. But in this case, it's how your soul, your spirit, your conscience directs and uh, relates to God. So then the other distinctive, the first distinctive we talked about, biblical authority, which, as you said, is our most fully listened to episode. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's also the source of this position. If the Bible is the authority, our sole uh, source of uh, our sole authority in faith and practice, because it's God's word, then liberty of conscience means we go straight to the Bible and thereby straight to God. Okay, so that's biblical authority. Christ is the Lord. And as, let me read the 1689 Second London Baptist Confession of Faith, which is probably the most comprehensive, and they define this. So this goes, this is, goes to the heart, to the beginning of Baptist. It says, God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men, which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. That's a, that's the key there, not contained in it. So that believe, so that to believe such doctrines of men or to obey such commandments of men out of conscience is to betray true liberty of conscience. And the requiring of an implicit faith and absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. So the premise of Baptist belief is that God is the Lord of the conscience. Conscience being that voice inside your head that says that's right or that's wrong. God tells that voice what to do. And has left it, like I say, it has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men. So it doesn't negotiate with them. It doesn't trump them. It's free from them. So it's an absolute freedom, uh, which are in anything contrary to his word or not contained in it. So even if it's true, you don't have to believe it. Right. As a Christian, as a Baptist, even if something is true, you don't have to believe it if it's not in the Bible. Uh, that's what freedom is. It's the ability to forego something. And then it says, so to believe such doctrines. So if a man comes out with a doctrine that may be good, but not in the Bible, if you believe it or obey it out of conscience. So not that you obey it, because many of us do things that we don't think we should have to do. Uh, but if you do it out of conscience, you do it because you think you should do it, but it's not in the Bible. It says it betrays true liberty of conscience. So like many things in the Bible, there's sort of, it's an either or. Either Christ is Lord over everything or he's Lord over nothing. So the minute you start bringing in things that are not in the Bible and people have to believe them, you haven't undermined the conscience or liberty of conscience. You've actually destroyed it. And that's what Baptists believe because you can't negotiate with ultimate powers. So God is God in Christ is Lord of the conscience. And that's that goes back. That's one of the most distinctive things about Baptist. So Baptists have multiple distinctive, but one of the things that goes back to the core that Baptists have been particularly good at is this liberty of conscience. And in fact, um, Thomas Helwes, who could be the first Baptist, he wrote a a pamphlet to the king called A Short Declaration of the Mystery of Iniquity. So you got a, a knack for good names. And he wrote that in 1611, I believe, or 1612, right after the King James was translated. So he wrote to King James. And he, are, and he got thrown in jail for this. So this is right when we believe the Baptists began. 
He says, we do freely profess that our Lord, the King has no more power over their conscience than over ours. And that is none at all. <laughs> uh, and then he goes, and that Christ is King alone, only high priest and chief bishop. And there is no King, no primate, no metropolitan, archbishop, Lord spiritual, but Christ only, nor, be, nor may be either in name or power to ex exercise authority one over another. So that's right at the beginning of the Baptist tradition. He's not saying, well, we got to put things. He's saying there's no competition. There's no single person, whether they be a archbishop, a king, anybody who can tell you what to believe. Except for Jesus. And that was very controversial back then. No one believed that. In fact, his book, Mystery of Iniquity, is probably the first time that, at least in English, that someone wrote about freedom of conscience. Other people adopted it later. Even the Presbyterians adopted it. But Baptists were the ones who really emphasized the absolute divide on belief and faith and conscience. Now, we say conscience because your conscience can be wrong. But a, another person can't tell you what to believe, even if they're right. And that's where it's hard for people. If I'm right... Shouldn't I be able to tell you who's wrong, what to believe? And the answer is no, only God can do that. And so the Baptists understood that there's nobody that can do that. And they got killed for it in a lot of cases. They were persecuted. They were accused of anarchy because if everyone got to do whatever they wanted to, how are we going to, it'll be, every man does what have right in his own eyes. It'll be total chaos. And if you are in charge of the government, your job is to keep the order. And if everybody believes what they want to believe, it'll be disorder. It'll be chaos. We think, looking back, that it's a little silly because we live in America and we've seen the results of religious freedom and, and freedom of conscience. But we don't have a problem so much with the king telling us what to believe, but we do have a problem with other people telling us what to believe, particularly spiritual leaders. Uh, so here's one guy, and this is a transition to our problem. So Tom or John Merton, he wrote, I think, 1650 or something. He said, if the state tried to ensure religious conformity, it would only compel men to be hypocrites. And we all was like, oh, yeah, sure. And that's the, one of the distinctives of separation of church and state. But the principle is, anytime you pressure someone, they don't actually change. Their conscience doesn't change. So he says, the kingship of Christ over conscience allows no rival authority. And then Edward Barber in 1640 says, no man ought to be forced in matters of religion. That sounds straightforward. But, they're, but the principle that they're saying is, anytime you pressure someone into believing something, You've, you've either you're either lording over them, or more more likely you cause them to be hypocrites. Because they, you can't see their hearts, and if you're trying to control their heart, you you then the person will display behaviors that indicate they believe the same thing, and so they become a hypocrite. And I think the 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 attack on soul liberty is not from kings 
or governors right now, I believe, especially for our listeners who are primarily conservative, maybe even mostly independent Baptist, it's the pastor and the, the pastors they look up to. They're doing, many pastors are doing what kings were doing in the past. What the Pope was doing in the past, the local pastor is doing now, and that is pressuring people to believe a certain way. And unfortunately, Baptists, especially independent Baptists, which the irony knows no bounds, independent Baptists, two words that should be the opposite of control, are the most controlling. And I said this on a, on a podcast I did with um, a guy named John Hollyfield. Fundamentalism, which is most easily located within the, in independent Baptist churches, is a theology of control. It's a theology of authority which is terrible and it's satanic that it's taken hold in Baptist churches who say their core belief is liberty of conscience and then create a theology that seeks to control people. And that, and a lot of, a lot of people will disagree with that, but I stand by it and I think history proves it out. And I think anyone who has seen some freedom can look back and see pastors pressuring people to believe a certain way. If a person that is a leader is convicted or convinced in their conscience that something is right, if they're not able to control what, what is the appropriate reaction if they are convinced in their conscience of the truth and they see people not conforming to that truth. Yeah, so they believe it's true. Their conscience says this is right. They're in charge of other people. They're a leader but the people aren't believing it. What I see happening is that pastors are using means to pressure people into agreeing with what they think is right. Uh, and that is the opposite of soul liberty. And I, I would say to give the benefit of the doubt, many pastors may not realize they're doing that. They may think they're doing what the Bible says, like provoke unto good works or build up the saints. But what they're really doing is they're making hypocrites out of their members. The 1689 in there, they give scripture def references for their points. On this point, they say, 2 Corinthians 1, at the very end, verse 24, says, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. So they keep working. Not that we have dominion over your faith. Now, Paul had the right faith. We know Paul was absolutely 100% right in what he was telling the Corinthians. So anything that Paul, anything the Corinthians disagree with Paul about, they were wrong. So let's, hypothetically, the pastor is standing before his people. He's as right as the inspired Paul. Paul is saying, I have no dominion over your faith, your conscience, what you believe in. In other words, you have the right to be wrong. And dominion means you have the ability to exercise power over somebody. So a pastor who tries to pressure, rule, change uh, with some sort of means what people believe, is he's really taking the place of God. He's trying to be Lord of the conscience. And the problem isn't whether he's right or wrong. That's irrelevant. The problem is that he's usurping God's place. And with, with fundamentalism, there's so much emphasis on control and authority 
that when you see somebody doing the wrong thing, disobeying God as you perceive it to be, that is the, the worst thing you can imagine. The worst thing you can imagine is someone defying God's authority. But in a, in a biblical theology, which is a theology of love and freedom, it's not the worst thing. The worst thing is to be in slavery, to be oppressed by sin, by Satan. And the best thing to be is free in Christ, to love God, love neighbor. So, so you see a lot of oppression by fundamentalist pastors because they're so, well, some are power hungry and want to control people because they like that. Others are well-meaning dictators. They want people to do the right thing, and so they're going to put all their power to make them do the right thing. And it's hard to tell the difference. And that's what John Merton said. He goes, it makes hypocrites of people. Because on the outside, everybody has to look the same with whatever the person in charge thinks. But you don't know what's going on the inside. So 1689 also gives Colossians 2.20 through 23 as biblical evidence of liberty. So it says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Okay, so the subject yourselves is conscience. Your conscience is telling you this is wrong. It's an internal voice subjecting, saying, don't do that. Uh, do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. And then here's, the, here's what you see. Here's the power behind it. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Pastors controlling their people think that having high standards of behavior and impressing those on people will, will have some sort of effect. And the Bible says they have no value, not a little value, not some value, no value against the indulgence of the flesh. They don't make people better. They make people hypocrites. And so what a pastor has to do is speak the truth, but don't pressure people into obeying it. And if you are raised in an authority-centered culture, that's hard to, hard to grasp. And as a result, you get a lot of abusive pastors because they're trying to get people to do the right thing. Best case scenario. They're trying to get their people to, to do the right thing. But it says here, these things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion. They look right. And you hear that argument a lot from pastors like, I'm just going to, this, this makes sense, doesn't it? If this is true and if this is true, then this must also be true. Well, that sounds like wisdom, but it goes back to, does God teach it directly? If I was going to walk up to a cliff, where's a safe place to stand at the cliff? Is it right, right at the, you know, you don't, you don't want to be right. at the line where it's acceptable. You want to be far back from the line so that when you fall, you're still behind the line. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Like you want to fence three feet back from the edge. But the minute you put a fence up, you've taken God's place. Liberty says, I can do whatever I want up to the edge. Because that's where God says, don't go any further than that. But if God didn't say three feet back, then I can go right up to the edge. There is no go. People think like going up to the edge as if you haven't sinned yet. But really the idea of trying to get as close to sin as you can without sinning, well, that is sin. 
it's not sort of like everything's fine, but I'm trying to get close to sin. Well, right. Trying to get close to right. sin is sin. I'm trying to get away with as much as possible. Right, which is a sin. <laughs> so we don't need to talk about putting something three feet back. All that's doing is trying to control people's behavior. It's saying God is not Lord enough. I need to be a Lord too. People are not capable of obeying God through their own conscience. They need someone else to help them do that. Well, it's, it's, and so you, it's also saying that biblical authority needs assistance. Right. It's so obvious when you read the New Testament that the Pharisees were wrong. And they're wrong because they added to Scripture. But they added to Scripture so that people would obey Scripture, which is exactly what controlling pastors do. They add to Scripture. They add standards. They add rules. They add pressure so that people will obey what's in Scripture. And in doing so, just like the Pharisees, they not only usurp God's authority, but they actually twist scripture because they've added so much to it that they don't understand what the Bible says itself. So this, this biblical doctrine, let people obey God. And if they disobey God, they answer to God. And you can't pressure them into to obeying God or you are binding their conscience. And that's not our place. You control behavior. So we are free. And here's the, the other side that people are worried about. And this came up in our church as we were going through this. If no one, if you're not three feet back, then you can just do whatever you want. And everyone's like, well, that's not the right answer. Just do whatever you want. I guess you can go out and kill somebody. It's like, okay, um, what's going to stop you from doing that? Your pastor or the Holy Spirit? And what the Bible teaches is that liberty is free freedom from man in order to obey God. It's not freedom from man in order to sin. It's freedom from man's control in order to obey God's control. If man's controlling you, you can't obey God fully. So if you have the Holy Spirit, then yes, the answer is do whatever you want to do, because the Holy Spirit makes you want to obey God. And what happens is people view freedom as an attack on authority and choose not God's authority. It's their own authority. So freedom is an attack on their own authority. And so the term is not, Oh, that person is just living freely. It's that person is being rebellious, right? They attach a very negative term to basically someone following their conscience, soul liberty, liberty of conscience, but they frame it negatively because they're not doing what they think they should be doing. And so they try to make that, well, you're, you're disobeying God now. And so you are, you don't do what I, so I just saw a video, uh, an advertisement for a, a college, Independent Baptist College. And it was the most depressing video I've ever seen. They were singing. I've never seen people look more unhappy while singing. And I could just sense, and people will say, well, you're assuming a lot of things. Like, if you've been in it for 35 years, are you assuming? Like, it's a it's an educated assumption at at worst. the The expressions on all of their faces, I could sense that they were saying, "Don't do the wrong thing. Don't mess up." In other words, you're not free to do what you think you should do because it might be wrong. And who's giving that? Well, I know how that structure's set up. The pastor and the leadership is pressuring them. Don't mess up. But if liberty is, is truly liberty, it's the ability to mess up. It's ability to do the wrong thing. You're free to do the wrong thing. 
And if we're not letting people live in that freedom, then we are saying we are God. Actually, we're worse than God because God doesn't control people's behavior. He judges, but he doesn't control. And God is is God lets unsaved evil people have more freedom than fundamentalist pastors let their own saved people have. It's like you're you're more free in God's creation than you are in the church, which is evil, and it's certainly not Baptist. Uh, so when we look at this, we can see the, the controlling behavior. And I was just listening to a pastor named John Faison, uh, who's doing a sermon series on, I think he's called it Not My Jesus. And he's a black pastor in Nashville, Knoxville, Tennessee, somewhere. And he was talking, uh, it was either the last Sunday or this upcoming Sunday. He said that the American church has a problem with identity theft. And it's stealing the identity of God. And the biggest problem with identity theft is not the theft of the materials. It's the reputation damage. So when you, when you steal somebody's identity and then you steal money, you don't get blamed for it. The person whose identity you stole gets blamed for it. And so John Faison was saying, God gets blamed for all the bad stuff that his preachers are saying. And, and you see this all the time. People go to a controlling church where people say, God wants you to do all these extra biblical things. And a lot of them leave and say, well, I don't have anything to do with God. Because that pastor stole God's identity. And then the person who was robbed got blamed. And so what Baptists have tried to say is, God lets you be free. And anytime a man steps in, they're usurping God's authority and they're violating scripture. And so the greatest damage done is to God's reputation. We don't have a problem with the government telling us how to believe anymore as much. It's these, it's these pastors that are doing it. And as a pastor, I'm as, I'm as susceptible as it to anybody. And so I, I got, I got a, um, someone emailed me or sent me a message this week saying, what are, how do we avoid being a controlling or abusive pastor? Which I think is a great step. And the answer is believe this doctrine right here and apply it. And what this doctrine says is anytime you are trying to get someone to do the right thing through your abilities or powers, you're violating the scriptures. It also feels like it's a result of a shallow application of the gospel. There's no answer for sin post-salvation. Right. Yeah, so the gospel saves you from the guilt of sin. But in, in a controlling, oppressive religion, like, like fundamentalism, there's no way to, to limit the sin behavior. There's no, there's no penalty in heaven or hell, but the gospel doesn't actually have any effect on your behavior. And so since the gospel doesn't affect your behavior, then the pastor has to do it. And so the pastor has to have this list of rules. And one of the greatest ways to see it is look at a, a college handbook for, for one of these kind of churches. And the colleges are where pastors send their students to become the kind of people they want them to be. In other words, they're like the training grounds for this entire tradition. And in those handbooks the list of extra biblical rules and, and caveats. And you could tell they're just trying to cut off every angle is ridiculous. Measurement for clothes, styles of haircut, 
uh, everything to get people to behave the right way. And it's abusive because they're using the Bible and spirituality to enforce it. And they'll say, well, these just the rules here. I worked in a college like that. I know for a fact that when you get, when you violate one of these principles, you didn't sign out or you wore your hair the wrong way or you, whatever, when you go to the, the office, they don't just say, well, you broke the rules, pay the price, go on. They'll say, they'll, they'll spiritually pressure you. If you had a submissive spirit, if you were willing to follow God, then you wouldn't have done this. You're displaying rebelliousness. You're defying God's authority. You're going against the, like they put the spiritual pressure to say your conscience should have stopped you from doing this. But since you did it, your conscience is wrong. So we need to change how you feel, how you're convicted by giving you a lecture, by giving you demerits. Uh, so I actually made a list of things um, that pastors do to control the conscience and the and ultimately the behavior of people. So number one, um, and this is not this is just off the top of my head. I'm I'm trying to learn abuse and how it works. You, you isolate people. Okay, so if you isolate people, and this is one of the number one things I see with with abuse. In other words, controlling someone's conscience. You have to get them away from people who will tell them differently. You have to be the only voice. Okay, isn't that that's what God says to do? He says, I should be the only voice you listen to. Right? I'm the I'm the one who ignore everybody else, listen to God. Pastors will do the same thing. And so you have these big outbreaks of, of controversy. There's one about three or four or five years ago where fundamentalist pastors were criticizing Christians for reading books that were not written by fundamentalists. Someone, I think John Hamblin was big on that. Uh, Jeff Fugate. In other words, they had to isolate them from these voices. And their argument was what happens is you start reading these books, you're being influenced by them and you'll leave fundamentalism. You'll leave the truth. So the answer is not have a conscience that will tell you right and wrong. The answer is isolate. And, you know, we grew up in a church like this. Was there any other good churches around us? Any other safe churches, trustworthy? No. No. There were some that were better than others, but nobody was as trustworthy as we were. And we live in an area where there's probably, I don't know how many churches around us that would be conservative, generally conservative, probably a hundred within easy driving distance. Yeah. Maybe more. Baltimore, D.C. area, probably 500 churches. But we were isolated from them because there was this idea of, well, if you go there, you'll be tempted and led away. And so the, the controlling behavior was isolation because our conscience, we couldn't be trusted. We didn't have liberty of conscience. We had to be controlled. Uh, the other thing I see is shame, shaming, uh, public shaming, private shaming. It's this, and this is where could someone can come across as um, loving and kind. Brother, I just want to warn you that you're going to hurt a lot of people if you do this. You're going to hurt your family. Think of your family. Think of your, and then they'll, they'll use somebody that you care about. Think about how that's going to affect them. Or you're really a disappointment to me, right? Like you're going to, in the worst case, you're going to make the church look bad. What they're trying to do is they're trying to make you feel a certain way. 
to to openly shame you and make you feel guilty, make you feel bad. In other words, put pressure on you to control what's going on inside of you. But it's not. But the Bible doesn't do that. <laughs> the Bible appeals to love God, love neighbor, not feel bad about things. And pastors do it all the time because it's effective. Shame is very, very effective. And so we grew up in a church where shaming was a regular part of discipleship. I was going to say the Sunday morning service. <laughs> and the more public, the more effective. And, and, and this is the problem that our church has to deal with is all the members are complicit. Because you can't shame somebody without an audience. Right? They have to be ashamed in front of somebody. And if the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, then you can't be ashamed for God. So the bigger the audience, the more the shame. And I think this is where you can't just blame pastors. It's all of us sitting in the pews who are watching it happen. That is manipulation, binding the conscience, and everyone's a part of it. You think of like Jack Hiles. Both of us have been PA guys in churches. And the way Jack Hiles would talk to the PA man during the service was shameful. He would shame the PA guy as if the PA guy was trying to hinder the preaching of the word. Okay, that was common. Um, if someone got up during the service to leave, he would call them out publicly in front of everybody. In other words, he wants him to stay and listen to the preaching, which is fine. Like, I think we all, every preacher wants that. Every Christian wants someone to stay and listen. Caveat, not much Jack Kyle said was worth listening to. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I made anybody <laughs> mad, but anything good he said, you could get from 100 better sources without the shame and manipulation. But he wanted them to stay and listen. And instead of letting the Holy Spirit keep them there or train them so that they could read the Bible and see what the Bible says, he would shame them in front of everybody. And it works. I know for a fact neither of us would probably get up and leave if we knew that everybody was going to look at us Never. while we do it. And so the behavior will become hypocrites. Uh, so that's pretty common. Um, it's, it's changing behavior. It's trying to change someone's belief system, behavior, conscience, guilt through shaming. Another one is aggressiveness. I don't know if it's the best way to put it. It's this. Most people are not fighters because fighting is sort of, it's, it's not help. It's not healthy to get into fights. <laughs> You know, it's better to leave, live peacefully. So if you go and get in a fight every day, your life is going to be shortened. So most people don't really want to fight. A lot of these pastors have no problem with confrontation to and escalate. aggressiveness to escalate. And just sort of this dominant personality where if you get into somebody's face and push, they're going to give way. And then it seems like they're doing it on their own free will. Like if they didn't want to do it, they would have said something, right? They would have resisted. They would have fought back. And so you can get away with thinking that you're in the right because the other person never fought back. And this happens especially to younger people. Um, I think there's a gender divide there. I think women are less aggressive and so they, they are less likely to sort of fight back head on. You know, if you're much older than the person, if you're in a position of authority, if the person is not doesn't have a lot of self-confidence or knowledge on the subject, being aggressive can win. And you see this from the pulpit all the time. Uh, if you need examples of this, go to IFB Preacher Clips 
And in five minutes, you can get multiple examples. I was just listening to a preacher that he just posted it this, this week, I think. And he was up there saying that the worst thing you can do is silence is, is to shut up the man of God. Cause he read a verse where I think Herod did all these bad things. And above all, he threw John into jail or like he shut up John in jail. And so he's saying that's the worst above all, that's the worst thing. So this pastor was saying he was, he was manipulating his people, but he was kind of like, he gets up there and he's yelling and he's like saying, you know, if you don't agree with me, just say something. Well, no one's going to say anything. So then there's this idea of, well, then you agree with it. Your conscience has gone along with it. When in fact, your conscience has not gone along with it. And so all this time, these pastors who are loud and aggressive are manipulating their people to either believe like they believe, like the pastor believes, or to pretend like they do. Uh, another one, public criticism. If you criticize someone in public enough and no one contradicts it, it seems like everybody is against them. Um, there's a podcast I've been listening to called uh, Preacher Boys. And he basically just lets victims uh, of, of controlling people speak. And this one was, she was saying that she married into the pastor's family, very large church in Virginia. And she didn't have a college education and this family was well-educated and they would criticize her all the time about how she wasn't as smart, how she wasn't educated, including publicly. Okay. So she's thinking, so what happened eventually, she began to believe that for one, the pastor's saying it. And secondly, everyone is going along with it. So if I stand in front of the whole church and criticize you for not believing like me and everyone else is silent, you're going to think I'm the only one. Everyone else agrees with him. I must be wrong. It wasn't the Bible that changed your view. It wasn't God who changed it. It was the pastor. So he's manipulating belief. So whenever you see someone being publicly criticized, uh, that's is almost, I, I, I guess there's sometimes that's appropriate. I'm not sure. I can't think of one off the top of my head. So maybe sometime, but probably not very many at all, especially people who are under your authority uh, because of the power dynamic there. Uh, another one, this is, this is less malicious on the front, is a reward system. This is why Master's Club is not a healthy program. And I'm sure some of our listeners use Master's Program. But Master's Program, and I grew up doing it. I think both of us grew up doing it. I was I was the only person to complete the younger age book in its entirety at our church. So well, be, watch out you. what you say. Because I was <laughs> so obviously you. the best Christian in the group. <laughs> and that was the thing. Do spiritual things get badges, get rewards, which is the most hypocritical, or at least the best way to train someone to be hypocritical is do something that you should be doing for God's eyes, right? Please God, not man, but give them a public symbol that they're doing the right thing. And then what you can do is you can start changing the belief system, but rewarding it and teaching them that this is right. This is wrong. So rewarding spiritual behavior I haven't thought about it enough. We're still working to work through this. I don't know if it's always bad, but every time I can think of it, it seems bad <laughs> because you're teaching them that they need to do things to be rewarded by the pastor, which means they need to please the pastor, which was openly taught, especially in older fundamentalism, that, that pleasing the pastor was a major part of the Christian life. And in fact, in Master's Club, there was a badge for that, wasn't there? 
like it was like preacher's friend or something preacher's fr- something like that like yeah. pastor's friend or yeah where you would do things that, that the pastor would like and get a badge for it teaching children that pleasing the pastor is is one of the main goals of their life well that's just a that's a perfect recipe for manipulation and binding someone's conscience because then they're going to care more about what the pastor thinks than what the bible thinks what the bible says because the bible doesn't give them a badge when when they obey it and god doesn't sort of come down and give them a trip to six flags and so this very materialistic way of of training it's like how we train i train our kids like potty training they go to the bathroom they get a piece of candy that's not how you train spiritual things so when you see systems like this and rewards can be you know when you grow up you don't want that kind of stuff but you will you'll get it from the the pulpit when the pastor calls you out and says hey just want to say you know brother mark here really did a great job this week of i don't know what would you do of using the king james version every day that's a reward for you like there's a dopamine hit when you're publicly praised by the pastor i mean it can also be in even if it's not connected to spiritual things it can be rewards that may seem more innocuous so if it's mother's day Mm -hmm. and you give a prize to the the youngest mother and the mother with the most kids and the oldest mother and the mother with the most kids present and the pastor's doing it from the pulpit which carries god's authority with him so it seems as if god is rewarding you for having a lot of kids when God does not say that he's going to reward you or that you are a good spiritual person because you had a lot of kids. And it also cruelly leaves out members of the congregation that maybe want to have the youngest kid, but have had difficulty having kids and things like that. Right. So then your conscience is pricked and you feel like you've done something wrong when you haven't because you weren't rewarded. So it's, yeah, this, this, and pastors can do it. I think the most, if you get behind the pulpit and you praise people publicly for things, uh, that's, I think that's dangerous. Um, it's an easy way to teach people what's important to you. And even if it's good and right, you know, if you praise someone for showing up to work on time, it's a good thing, but that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not a spiritual discipline. So it, it, the reward system can be a way to do that. And so people think liberty of conscience, a lot of pastors think it means they get to say whatever they want to say. And really what happens is they're the only one that liberty of conscience applies to. And their people have to fall in line. And they don't just fall in line because it is the most efficient thing. It's because it's the most spiritual thing. We grew up like I'm, I'm a little frustrated with people telling us that that's not how it really is in my church or this church or that church. As if we grew up in a Presbyterian church, stumbled across some Twitter accounts and are trying to criticize fundamentalism. Like, no, I was at pastor school. I heard Jack Hiles preach. I went to camp at multiple independent Baptist camps. I was at Southwide. I went to the Sword Conference. I visited Pensacola Christian College. I heard Paul Chapel preach. Like I've been to all these things. Both of us have. 
we've been to the youth conferences at multiple churches, grew up into it, went to a fundamentalist college, read the fundamentalist books, listened to the sermons, had the guilt trips, went forward at every single camp meeting and revival meeting, went to the altar, promised to go to Africa as a missionary, like all this stuff. Now in our 30s, after 30 years of this, plus I wrote two books on fundamentalism. <laughs> like, so I've read, I've read quite a bit about theology. So we're not criticizing fundamentalism because we don't like it. Criticizing fundamentalism because we're in it. We grew up in it. So yeah, I'm sure the Catholics are bad too. And I'm sure, um, you know, the Buddhists are bad. But we know fundamentalism. And fundamentalism is not just independent Baptists. So some of our listeners are not independent Baptists. And they're like, oh, yeah, those crazy people at Hiles. No, John MacArthur is a fundamentalist. Uh, he's as much a fundamentalist as Jack Hiles. He just has less rules. But he's equally controlling. He's equally dogmatic on things that aren't in Scripture. He just doesn't have as many as long of a list. So it's easy to think if your pastor lets the women in your church wear pants, you're not a fundamentalist and, and everyone has freedom of liber freedom of conscience. It's like, yeah, okay. There's other things. And, and the defense is, and as a pastor, I've had to learn this. Are you okay with people doing what they want to do when you think it's wrong? Like not, not are you okay within yourself? Are you okay with letting it happen? And if the answer is no, I can't just let them do that. They need to be taught to listen to me when I teach them the right thing. You're probably hindering the liberty of their conscience. And the, the worst part is you're undermining the Holy Spirit. You're teaching people that the Holy Spirit's not enough, that they need the man of God to teach them how to, or, or to control their, their mind. Worst example is one we heard all the time. You're standing on a chair, right? And there's a guy below you in the world, some bad person, and they reach up to grab your hand Usually your unsaved you, friends. Unsaved friends, right? Uh, and you reach out and you grab their hand. What happens? You don't pull them up. They pull you down. And so the pastor's teaching, everyone that's ever used that illustration or a form of that illustration is teaching, you can't, be, you can't do what you want. You can't have the friends you want. You can't believe the way you want. You need to be careful because outside forces are stronger than you. What they're really saying is that outside forces are stronger than the Holy Spirit. The, the, the main point behind the liberty of conscience is that the Holy Spirit can handle everybody. If you're a Christian, you can be free because, if, because the Holy Spirit will keep you. And if pastors can't trust God enough to keep his people, then they shouldn't be pastors. And they certainly need to mature in their faith. And what fundamentalism tried to do was try, try to create a theology they would keep people from doing and believing the wrong thing. And as a result, it's created a haven for abuse. And the, kind of the point behind this podcast is the Baptist faith is a faith of freedom, of liberty, of joy, of peace, of long suffering, of submission to God. In other words, it's the Bible way. And I was just talking to a friend who I taught in college or a friend of a friend. But this person I taught in college, they left this church they were in because they showed up every week spiritually unhealthy and no one ever asked them how they were doing. 
sang in the choir, did all this stuff, but no one ever asked them how they were doing because they were behaving correctly. They looked like they were going along. So they left the church, but apparently they were saved. And so a saved person needs Christians. So they look for Christians. But he said, the only qualification I had for a church was that it didn't say Baptist on it. And I thought, oh, it's killing me. As a devout Baptist, I totally understand your point of view. And I wouldn't even discourage you in one sense. But the real answer is that church you went to was not a real Baptist church. They didn't, they didn't have freedom of conscience. They had, they had a control of your conscience. And as a result, you became a hypocrite. And so it's a sort of identity theft. Primarily, people are stealing the identity of God. But secondarily, they're stealing the identity of Baptist. So First Baptist Hammond was not a Baptist church because it was too controlling. And I could go on and on with that list. Um, don't need to make enemies of everybody, but <laughs> I'm getting there, right? Like somebody's got to call them out. It, it's, you don't always see it from a distance. That's why people are less, less likely to agree with it. But if you're in it, you know that you're not free to do things. You're not free to wear what you want to wear, to act how you want to act. This, this video I watch of this college, um, in, in Lexington, Kentucky, <laughs> I'm going to do the math on that. It's congregational singing. No one's moving. No one's smiling. That doesn't seem natural. And and there was just the sense of don't mess up. Yeah. And yeah. that means they're afraid. They're afraid of something. They're afraid of being, of getting caught believing the wrong thing. Yeah, your, your actions have to buy your acceptance. Right. Because your actions are the only way people can see what you believe. And so you have to believe the right thing, which means you have to act the right way. And if you act the wrong way, you're not a real believer. Are you even a Christian? Uh, I mean, yeah. So the Bible and Baptist distinctives, liberty of conscience means the, that you should be free to follow Christ. And if... That means defying other Christians and the pastor. So be it. And if pastors can't handle that, they're not called to the ministry. And that's, I think that's a biblical teaching. If you're if you can't let the Holy Spirit work in your church, you shouldn't be the pastor of that church. Uh, so, a healthy Baptist church will be a free place for people. And it's because we all submit to God and not to we don't submit our conscience to anybody else. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at historyandhope.com or message us on Twitter at History and Hope. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcast app of your choice.